Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I come to work with two hands every day and I'm trying to bless somebody. We better be in Florida. It better be sunny. And there better be some sort of fruity drink involved. With Matt Harmon. It seems like you know ball the way you talk, so. <laughs> Thank you. Someone clip that. You can get on a podcast. You can get online. You can argue with the clouds. You can argue with the, with the Russian bots. Don't care. Good morning. It's Friday, September 23rd. Welcome to the podcast sponsored by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation, the makers of Lecbio and Clizerin. And we got a special, special treat for you today. A big show, someone uh, might say. We've got somebody here who, to my knowledge, I don't think has ever been on this podcast in any of its many iterations, despite being incredibly knowledgeable about the NFL and fantasy football. It's former Tennessee Titans legend, former Patriots legend, former Stanford legend, our guy from FFL, my arch nemesis on the show, but also secretly <laughs> real good buddy, Tank Williams. Tank, what's going on, man? I think the only thing that's applicable is the thing that you didn't say, and that's maybe FFL legend. Everything else, Tennessee <laughs> Titans, New England Patriots, that's all lives, dog. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are fantasy football legend, Tank Williams. Um, Tank, for, for the people who who don't know you, aren't familiar with you, just get like a, a quick introduction about, um, about you uh, so the folks can get to know you out there. Oh, born and raised in Mississippi, attended Stanford in college, got drafted by the Titans in the second round, played four years for the Titans under Jeff Fisher. So all the Jeff Fisher jokes, I get it on social media. <laughs> I played under Mike Tomlin for a season in Minnesota before he became the head coach at Pittsburgh, one of the best coaches I've ever played under, and then also played one year in New England. Bill Belichick really is the mad scientist. Whenever you have an a, a offensive fantasy player facing him, you really do have to take into consideration how he may be able to neutralize that guy. Yeah. I mean, Tank knows his stuff about the NFL, about fantasy. Uh, he also is a great DFS player, despite losing the Guru Challenge to me on FFL last week, but or last year. But nevertheless, <laughs> we'll come back to that later. Tank, we have an absolute ton to get into. Uh, for those yeah. who, who don't know, uh, with our preview show, basically what we do here is we give kind of a general overview of the game, but also our two things, one from Tank, one from me, on what you need to know, what you need to watch going into this game. So let's jump right into it because we have, uh, like I said, just a ton of games here. First one up, I always have these ordered based on um, like fantasy juice, fantasy intrigue, just the games I find most intriguing. And man, I didn't expect to be here, but uh, the Dolphins right. are featured in our first game, man. Bills 
at Dolphins. Bills are six-point favorites. We got a beefy 52.5-point over-under. So, Tank, give me your thing that people need to know going into this game. Well, for me, it's like can Tua and those wide receivers keep it going? Like, I no longer call Tua Tua Tagovailoa. From now on, he is Tua Montana to me because against the Baltimore Ravens, he told them to (laughs) say hello to my little friends, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. So, from now on, that's my man, Tua Montana. But this is going to be interesting. Like, the Bills' defense is one of the better defenses in the league right now, but they're banged up in the secondary. And we don't really know who's going to be coming out once they go down to Miami to face this Miami offense that's clicking on all cylinders right now. I mean, there were a lot of questions about Tua coming into this season, but then we've seen that Mike McDaniel, we knew he was going to have a creative running game and that that was going to possibly open up the passing game. But for him to just open it up and, like, the Baltimore Ravens knew he had to throw the ball, yet and still Tyreek was getting behind him. Jalen Waddle was, like, shredding him in the middle of the field and on the outside. Like, this offensive is explosive. This passing game is explosive. And with Buffalo not operating on all cylinders, especially with the injuries they have up front in the defensive line, too, I'm really interested to see if Tua can keep it going. Yeah, me too, man. I think Mike McDaniel has been perfect from what we what we want from a head coach, right? Like, just get the ball in the hands of your best players. Obviously, we know he's like the run game coordinator kind of coming from San Francisco. Like you said, we expected, and I think at some point they'll get right in the run game. They're not 100% healthy on the offensive line right now. Like, that'll come at some point. But so far, um, last week, 88% of the air yards went to damn Waddle and Tyree Kill. That, that's it. Like, that's the passing offense. So, I think if you need a quarterback streamer because of those injuries uh, to Buffalo secondary, like you mentioned, even though that I think that the Bills have the best offense and the best defense in the NFL, I'm I'm still kind of okay like rolling out to it. If you've had look, I'm not trying to start Tom Brady this week, and I, I got Tom Brady right. on a couple Absolutely. one QB lineups. I'm starting Tua over Tom Brady this week. Yeah, and I think one thing we need to look at too. I know a lot of people, especially in a couple of leagues that I'm in people were anxious to drop Mike Gesicki because they had all the noise out there about him not really fitting into the system. But it seems like they're slowly starting to integrate him more into the passing game at the very least. And so I don't really worry about him being in on the running play because I don't care if he's out there blocking. But if you want him out there in passing situations, you're actually going to target him with the ball, which it seems like they did that a little bit more in this game against Baltimore. I'm interested to see how this is going to continue to play out. Like, obviously, they're playing from behind, so they're going to have to throw the ball more than usual. But he could end up being the player where a lot of people were kind of low on him the way his usage was to start the season, even though it's only been two weeks. But he could end up maybe not living up to the expectations that we thought at the end of last year, but carving out a larger role in this offense than we initially anticipated, you know, after week one. Yeah, I'm with you, man. Uh, right now in week two, 42 routes for Jalen Waddle, 40 for Tyreek Hill. Mike Gusecki creeped up to 31 there for third most on the team. And, you know, again, I think that is a feather to the in the cap of um, Mike McDaniel. It's like Mike Gusecki can play, dude. And, uh, you know, they need a third option behind Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill just because he's not like a George Kittle clone. And this offense is is evolving to more of a pass first team, I think. So I think we'll see more Mike Gusecki going forward. That's a good call by you. Two red zone targets last game as well um, my thing for this game here is on the Bills side and hey Tank I, I got no problem if it's just going to be the Josh Allen Stefan Diggs show right <laughs> like if that's all this offense is going to be yeah goodbye me man we'll see if Gabe Davis plays in this game but um, I still wonder like are we going to see any sort of consistency from a Dawson Knox like I think at this point the fact that you know when Gabe Davis was out last week you know, Isaiah McKenzie and Jamison Crowder, both those guys just stayed in as the slot receivers and rotated on like a snap by snap basis. Um, and and we didn't and Jake Kumro ran out there in the Gabe yeah. Davis role. So 
at this point, I, I'm kind of losing hope. You know, Dawson Knox, I think, is just going to fix into the mix of these like tight ends that are not going to be predictable week by week. And now I'm starting to lose any hope that like a, a an Isaiah McKenzie or a Crowder should really even be on the end of benches. Like we know what we got out of Buffalo with Diggs and Allen, but I'm kind of curious if anybody else is going to step up here. Yeah, I think I'm in the same boat with it. We know what you're going to get out of Stephon Diggs. He's going to get the majority of the target share. And I think that they're going to make up for his lack of touchdowns that he had last year. And you already see where he is with, in, in regards to being one of the highest fantasy producing wide receivers. And I think that's only going to continue. I think there is enough space in this offense to allow Gabe Davis to flourish. I mean, you saw Kumaro had the deep pass downfield in the game against Tennessee. I think Davis will get a little bit more targets just because he's a more athletic specimen than you have in Kumaro. And I think that they're going to take advantage of that. But as far as when you get to guys like Jameson Crowder, Isaiah McKenzie, Dawson Knox would get sprinkled in here or there. But I feel like the only two folks that you can really depend on in that passing game are going to be Steph Diggs and Gabriel Davis. And then otherwise, like, you're just going to be throwing darts at a dartboard on each week and just kind of looking at the the matchups that may present itself to where it may provide for Dawson Knox to have a blow-up game or something like that. Tank, would you rather have, if you could draft today, would you rather have Justin Jefferson or Steph Diggs at wide receiver two overall? I mean, man, the way – see, the only reason that I was putting a knock on – Josh Allen and for Stefan Diggs is like looking at their schedule late in the season, just looking at some of the teams they were going to potentially have to play and also trying to factor in the weather that they were going to have to play in. But that's true, man, the way that they start off this season, man, like it's, I mean, it's hard not to say that you would want, you wouldn't want Stefan Diggs instead of Justin Jefferson. But at the same time, I feel like Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson, we're going to get to this game later on, but they're going to have a bounce back. And I think he's going to continue to get that Cooper Cup treatment, which means that he has an opportunity to explode any given Sunday, and in particular, this coming Sunday. Yeah, among guys who have uh, run 20-plus routes this year, Stefan Diggs is number one in terms of targets per route run, which is no surprise. Obviously, that Gabe Davis being back will kind of influence that going forward. But all right, game number two here, Eagles at Commanders. Hey, Carson Wentz revenge game, number two hey. here uh, on our slate. <laughs> Eagles are six-and-a-half-point road favorites, 47-and-a-half over-under. Tank, um, you, you're loving the way this Eagles offense looks. I'm loving the way this Eagles offense looks. What do we got to watch out for by this one? Man, all the ballers, man. I, I think that there were a lot of people, like there were a lot of quarterbacks that received hate coming into this season. Jalen Hurst was one of them. People were talking about how they built this offense around him, how they were going to put weapons around him, how he needed to produce. Well, hey, that dude is producing right now. And I think when you look at this Philadelphia Eagles offense, it reminds me a lot about what we saw out of the Baltimore Ravens in their, in their prime like a couple of years ago where it's a run-heavy system where you have to put in an extra – tackler to try to take away Jalen Hurts because you lose a blocker with the quarterback carrying the ball so he's going to wear you out with his legs he's been eating the, the two teams that they faced so far this year up but now he's throwing the ball over the middle of the field right now he has a dog on the outside that he didn't have last year in A.J. Brown and you can notice the difference between the Philadelphia offense this year and what's lacking in Tennessee this year like A.J. Brown, every time he goes out there, he signs his name on a DB's birth certificate because he becomes that damn daddy. <laughs> That's how he's dominating DB's out there, and it's only going to continue. And so when you have that kind of weapon on the outside that you can always depend on, and, oh, you still got Dallas Goddard and Devontae Smith, that makes for a dangerous combo. Whenever you're trying to face an offense that can run the ball down your throat and go over the top. And I'll let you talk about Carson Wentz because the redheaded stepchild, hey, that dude has been balling and proving all his doubters wrong as well. 
Just one thing on this Eagles offense, though. Um, a couple of things. One, I, I said this on the podcast with Dalton yesterday. I think we got to give Miles Sanders a little more respect. Um, True. He, he came out and told us not to draft him, but I think he was kind of wrong on that because so far he's been actually pretty good in fantasy. Um, and I think just this offense taking another step is good for Miles Sanders. But the second thing, and I just want to like l- slightly longer conversation about Jalen Hurts here because – I come back to the quote that Stefan Diggs had on this podcast when we interviewed him. It's like, it's hard to evaluate talent when there's not talent around it. Right. Like, I mean, obviously you can watch guys and you can sort of judge their skill sets and everything like that, but it's sort of similar to me right now with Jalen Hurts is how, how it was with Josh Allen when Stefan Diggs got there. Like everybody had all of these questions about Josh Allen, like his accuracy, his whatever, you know, it, can he really be the guy for the bills? And then suddenly he gets a legit elite number one receiver in there. And all of a sudden, Josh Allen's a great quarterback. Now, Josh Allen obviously took steps in his game on his own. And I think Jalen Hurts, the improvement in his game, it it, it gets so undersold because his adjusted yards per attempt from his final year at Alabama to Oklahoma, huge jump there. Year one to year two, huge jump in his adjusted yards per attempt. Like I think, Tank, you can make the argument that each of the last now five years at this point of football, he's got, Jalen Hurts has taken a step and gotten better each year. But... A lot of it also comes back to, hey, when you take, you know, Jalen Rager out the mix and you give you know his targets to A.J. Brown, suddenly, yeah, Jalen Hurts looks like a dude. And, and I, <laughs> I kind of feel like it's only two weeks. We'll see how this thing goes with Jalen Hurts. But I kind of feel like we're trending towards the Eagles need to make a long term commitment to Jalen Hurts because he kind of looks like an advantage at quarterback, not just a guy that they're trucking along. Yeah, it's one of those things where if you wait too long to figure it out, oh, it's going to end up costing you pretty and so I think he's going to be in a situation similar to Lamar where you don't come across these types of quarterbacks too often where they can dominate a defense in the run and pass game that makes it so difficult like when I played in the league the one quarterback that I hated playing like obviously Peyton Manning Tom Brady gave me fits but Michael Vick gave us the most stress because we knew there were only a number of coverages that we can play because if you line up in man coverage and all your defensive backs have your back to him, he's going to eat you up in the run game. Yet and still, like, if you try to blitz him, he has a strong arm. We could take advantage of you in the pass game. And so I think Jalen Hurts is molding himself into that dude. And as long as he continues to exploit opposing defenses in the pass game, he's going to be a tough cover for defensive coordinators. Yeah, and I think that same rule applies to fantasy, right? If you wait too long to see it, like you're going to miss the boat. Like at this yeah. point, people needed to see it with AJ Brown and Jalen Hurts. Like, how much are they really going to throw the ball? But like, if you just followed the drumbeat of the offseason and you knew the truth of AJ Brown's game, which is, I think he's a top five receiver in the NFL, like on a pure individual basis then you could get in early on that. And sometimes like we learned this lesson over and over again about wide receivers changing teams, but it's especially true this year that like, Hey, sometimes like dudes can elevate other quarterbacks. And like, I think that's what we're seeing in Philadelphia from a fantasy angle. My thing on this game, you mentioned it, Carson Wentz in this Washington offense, like tank this wide receiver trio. I, I don't want to get totally down on Terry McLaurin. Cause I love Terry McLaurin, but these three guys are kind of all like on an equal playing field almost at this point. Yeah, I mean, we, we've been so accustomed to seeing Terry McLaurin get the majority of the target share and him ball out with it, but now you just don't have to cons- consistently, like, force feed Scary Terry. Like, now you have Jahan Dotson, who has, like, some of the best hands out of all the rookie wide receivers who's going up, high-pointing the ball, making really great plays, either on the outside and over the middle of the field. 
and I don't want to waste a whole lot of breath on your boy. I want to let you talk about him. Like Curtis Samuel <laughs> is healthy, and now this dude is getting touches in the run game. They're hitting him on over routes in the pass game, and like he's getting targeted like a monster. And it's something that, hey, if you've been a fan of his for a while and you saw the potential, you saw the athleticism, you just knew he needed to be healthy and be put in the right system in order for him to flourish. Hey, dog, this is your moment to shine. So I'm going to go ahead and let you shine. Yeah, let me uh, let me get stretched out for my victory <laughs> lap here. Dude, Curtis Samuel is so good, man. Uh, yeah. I've been saying that. And look, we've seen it with Curtis Samuel before. That's what gets like, I think, losses that he was really good in 2020 when he had decent quarterback play it's funny the Panthers have done this whole stupid uh musical chairs at quarterback for so long but like Teddy Bridgewater is f by far and away the best guy they've had starting for them since Cam Newton was released I mean Cam Newton obviously came back but he was a shell of himself at that point um and Curtis Samuel had a really good year with Teddy Bridgewater in Carolina in 2020 um just you know he's a good player man like when the quarterback play can cooperate and the quarterback play is kind of cooperating right now in um in Washington and Scott Turner you know, I keep saying this tank he is the most underrated play caller in the NFL the way he puts like these guys into position and you know Samuel's explosive he's reliable he can do these like gadget things but he's also a legitimate route runner that can beat press man coverage if you do want to line him up outside so I don't really see this train stopping with Curtis Samuel and Jahan Dotson is is a dog too man like that guy is legitimately good and can like size be damned, right? Like he's small, but he wins contested catches like nobody else. So Carson Wentz is kind of um, I, like he's right on that fringe ter in terms of like QB 13, 14 for me um, every single week because this team is just going to throw the hell out of the ball as long as these three wide receivers are healthy. Yeah, for me, it's really hard to believe that Carson Wentz is tied for first in the league with passing touchdowns, and he's second in the league in passing yards. Like, that's unbelievable. But I think I don't – like, I, I just have to reiterate one point you said because the play calling in Washington has been magically delicious. And you notice it because when they're in a the groove, like, the offense just seems to flow like water. It's just, like, effortlessly. And then you see some of these other teams that we're going to talk about later, like the Denver Broncos, the Houston Texans, like the offense seems so disjointed and clunky. And that's when you see like all these lapses, whether it's penalties and things like that, that are holding them back. We're really not seeing that from the Washington Commanders. And so that's why I feel like this game, I don't know if it's going to be sneaky or not, but the way that Washington's been scoring the ball, this has shootout appeal all over. So if you're playing your GPPs and all that, you might need to go ahead and stack up on this divisional matchup because if it goes like we think it can, there's going to be a lot of fireworks. and You probably need to have a lot of these guys in your lineup in order to take down the tourney. 100%. And Jack Del Rio and the boys on the defensive side, That's that uh, the, the offense is coming together in Washington. It's not coming together on defense. So that, that should uh, you know increase the shootout appeal of this game. Next game up we got here, Chiefs. My, this one might be a little too high uh, on, on my rankings here. But Chiefs <laughs> minus six at the Colts to 50 and a half point over under. My thing on this game tank, if Mike, and I, I know the answer, if Michael Pittman doesn't play, and I think I think he pro, it's trending kind yeah, of the right direction. Like he will. Yeah. It's it's trending the right direction, but like, do we care about anyone in Indianapolis besides Michael Pittman and Jonathan Taylor? And the answer is a clear no. We 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 really don't. Yeah, that's true because it seems like if you don't have those two cogs performing at a ten out of ten in that offense, then it really doesn't matter with anyone else. I mean, you know, you you've had people hype up like Ashton Doolin. You know, he played you know pretty well the past couple of weeks, and you know he was that main beneficiary of Michael Pittman being out, but he's not going to do anything major for you. I mean, he's just kind of, he's just a guy out there. I mean, what you need out of that Colts offense 
is the offensive line to play a lot better. So you can run the ball more effectively. And so Matt Ryan isn't out there and playing how Carson Wentz was playing behind that offensive line last yeah. year. Like you thought you was getting rid of Carson Wentz. He's going to get an upgrade of Matt Ryan. But now the production that you expected to get out of Matt Ryan and Indy is balling out in Washington right now. So they yeah. need to resolve that somehow. And I think having that come to Jesus moment in Jacksonville, like they had to press the life alert button on the necklace. Like it's that bad in Indianapolis right now. I think have to be shut out by a divisional rival and also tying the game in Houston that you should have won in week one. That's going to make them bounce back and play a little bit harder. The tough thing about this is that you have to go and face the Kansas City Chiefs team that's clicking on all cylinders right now. That's where they're going to run into a brick wall. Yeah, I mean, there's a good chance that the Colts are staring down like a really bad start to the season here at this point, and and the, the panic will be all out. I'm, at the same time, though, this is what happens every time with the Colts. Like, weren't they one and three to start last year, and then they end up you know, blowing it at the end there, thanks to Carson Wentz. But, uh, uh, you know, that's a lot of, lot of uh, like three <laughs> degrees of separate, six degrees of separation here uh, with these two teams. But um, what's your thing on this game? Because I feel like with the Colts, it's really easy. It's Michael Pittman, it's Jonathan Taylor, it's log out. But then with the Chiefs, it's a little more complicated. Yeah, so with the Chiefs, it's like when somebody tells you something, believe them. And when we got into the, like right before week one started, Patrick Mahomes told you like, hey, we're going to spread the ball around a lot. So if your fantasy owners like watch out and right now it's like, man, you should listen to this dude because right now, you know, you can depend on Travis Kelsey. Like he's one of the most dynamic tight ends in the league. Even when he plays against a guy like Duran James, who's an absolute beast and could eliminate any tight end threat on any offense. He's still going to have like, tries to like uh, to, to drive him into the dirt. Derwin right? James. <laughs> <laughs> like he thought he was on like WWE. What was it? Smackdown he used to come on. Whatever yeah. used to come yeah, down yeah. Thursdays. Like, that's what my boy was playing against the, uh, the the Chiefs last week. But um, when you look at this Kansas City wide receiver core, like this is a wide receiver by committee, and it's nasty. Like you had MVS that had seven targets last week, and you know Juju had a bunch of targets in week one. But I don't think there's going to be one guy that we could depend on week in week out that you could just insert your lineup saying that hey, this is one of the better passing offenses in the league. We should be able to have one wide receiver that we can lean on. I thought that Juju may eventually be that guy. But the way it's trending right now, and I know it's still early in the season, I mean, if you have some of these guys, I would be patient with Juju. Nicole mm -hmm. Hartman already switched him out for somebody else. And I don't know. I mean, the patience is running thin on MVS as well. I just don't know if there's anyone else besides Travis Kelsey that you can hang your hat on and be like, hey, this is going to be that dude for me in my lineup. And that's even at a wide receiver three. Yeah, um, I'm with you that I still want to hold out some hope for Juju. And I feel like this is probably... Um, we also should talk about Patrick Holmes' history against Gus Bradley. I mean, during like the slump periods last year, and Gus Bradley's obviously defensive coordinator for the Colts now, but during like that slump period of the Chiefs' offense last year, the one time it looked like the Chiefs were the Chiefs was when they played Gus Bradley and the Raiders, and he just absolutely destroyed those like cover three looks. So and you know why exactly? That's, you hit on it right there. Yeah, yeah. When yeah. you go, when you're gonna play Patrick Mahomes single high safety, he's gonna eat you alive. Especially if you want to do that with pressure. The things that's been slowing Mahomes down is you know safety's lining up in that cover two shell and making them dink and dunk down the field instead of giving up the big play. And if Gus Bradley comes with that same Gus Bradley stuff, Mahomes gonna eat him up again. That's a really great point. Yeah, and just on on this individual matchup, right? Like you think with these wide receivers. Juju is kind of the dink and dunk short intermediate guy that's going to you know be a flanker big slot type more like a zone beater than a man beater for sure. Um, Travis Kelsey is is who he is. Um, and, and then 
like you kind of think that MVS as that speed X receiver would be the guy in this type of matchup against that cover three single high look. But like MVS is just not that good. Like uh, this is the weird part about them like playing MVS so much and what they do so much with MVS is he's not like a he's not a guy that's going to consistently earn targets because he's not a guy that's going to consistently get open. But if he's going to have one of those big weeks, this is probably the week. I don't think I have the stones to play him in fantasy, like on a, in a in a redraft league or anything. But maybe maybe as like a DFS start throw. Although yeah. I just I, I don't know, man. I I don't have a lot of faith in the, faith in the whole MVS thing. But I'm with you that Juju is still a guy I'm holding on to. You know, still is running a ton of routes and everything in this offense. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll get a lot of answers. I do hope we start to see more of Sky Moore because I think that guy can play, and I think they need to like enough already with MVS, enough already with McCole Hardman. Let's move on to Sky Moore. Let's also move on to uh, the NFC North matchup we got here. Lions at Vikings. Vikings are six-point favorites, 52.5 over under. Um, Tank, what's your thing for this game? Uh, I mean, this should be a bounce-back spot for my man Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson in that Vikings offense. I mean, I know a lot of us expected a shootout in Monday night, and we were disappointed by how that Vikings offense looked. Kirk Cousins turned the ball over. Dalvin Cook couldn't get going. Justin Jefferson just threw up just a whammy. But, oh, do we have the remedy? <laughs> that Detroit <laughs> yeah. Lions secondary, bro. Like, that has been one of the worst performance secondaries in the league right now. And I feel like if there's any spot for my man J.J. to get healthy, it's going to be against his, those Lions DBs. And so the thing is this. Like, the Lions aren't going to lay down either. Like, they have that confidence that, you know, <laughs> they win. They beat a Washington Commander team at home. They play one of the teams that we're saying is one of the better teams in the league right now. They only lost by three. Like, you know what I'm saying? They played Philadelphia tough. And so now, and we look back to last year where they stole a win out of Minnesota. So with all that confidence, everything that they have building, this is a divisional matchup. And it seems like Green Bay is the team that they used to be. Like the Lions legitimately feel like they have a shot at winning this division. So these two teams are going to go head to head. And when I look at all that coming together, it's going to be a competitive atmosphere. And I see these two offenses going back and forth. I think this can be a sneaky shootout if people aren't seeing it as being a shootout already. And I'm looking for both of these offenses to explode, but more specifically, Kirk Cousins and Jay Jetta to get back on the right track. Yeah, I kind of like the over on 52 and a half here. Um, the Lions, I think, are going to give you a lot of over games because their defense is brutal, as you've highlighted many times so far this year. They're the, they're like the great fantasy carnival, like Scott Pianowski says. Like, that offense is going to put up points, and the defense is going to let the points up on the other end there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my God. But um, I'm really interested on the Vikings defensive side, like, the thing that was killing them on Monday night, a lot of things were going wrong for the Vikings on Monday night, but the one thing that was really killing them on the defensive side was like, they just kept sitting back in like soft coverage and just giving those free releases to wide receivers, like getting easy receptions. And that's the Jared Goff, like I'm on Ross St. Brown game, you know, yeah. like if, if they, if they roll in, uh, you know, in this, in week three with that plan against the lions, like Jared Goff is going to be perfectly fine to just, dink and dunk and dink and dunk to like DeAndre Swift but mostly Amon Ross St. Brown who's just like an absolute star at this point I I love I love Amon Ross St. Brown I'm just such a fan of him I think this game should be really sneaky for fantasy I guess the another question for both of these teams really is are any of the other guys going to step up right like we know Justin Jefferson not his best game in week two but we know what he's going to do we know what Amon Ross St. Brown's going to do on the other side we know DeAndre Swift Dalvin Cook does the running backs but like I think DJ Chark actually has some pretty decent metrics so far this year from a usage standpoint, getting a lot of end zone targets, getting a lot of air yards. I think the Vikings could really use more from like 
more consistency from Irv Smith, more consistency from Adam Thielen, and even KJ yes, Osborne, you too. So that's the name you need to throw out right there, especially if you're looking for someone that may be a little bit undervalued and could be cheap in uh, fantasy. Adam Thielen. I think the way that the last game ended where they're trying to get him a little bit more involved in this offense, I think that's going to be at the forefront of this coming game. I think in order for the Vikings to be successful, you need to have another threat other than Justin Jefferson. He's going to be that guy. He should give you that Cooper Cup production weekly. But at the same time, you still need somebody else that's going to be a dog that scares on opposite side. And I think against this Detroit Lions secondary, that Adam Thielen could be that guy. But let's before we move on to another game, I'm not sure if you had anything else. Like, let's go ahead and give Jared Goff some props too. Like, Jared yeah. Goff has six touchdowns, one interception on the season. Like, there's a lot of folks on social media that like to throw around that Jared Goff and Matthew Stafford. Like, they looking at each other like, uh, uh, uh. But right now, a hey, Jared Goff is looking like that dude, and Stafford is just doing what he normally does. So it may end up changing this week or in the coming weeks. But at least for now, I'm gonna go ahead and give Goff his props. Yeah, I think if you're playing in Superflex, you're playing in QB2 leagues, like Jared Goff makes for a perfectly fine guy as your second quarterback there. And this was part, I, I agree with you that Jared Goff gets kind of too much hate. Like this happens with sometimes with, with guys, right? Like we overcorrect on them. Um, you know, Jared Goff was the number one overall pick. He went to a Super Bowl. He had some awesome years with Sean McVay to the point that people were like, okay, well, he's not really that guy, right? Like we know he's not that good. And, and it, it, we were right about that. He's not that good but he's also not like trash either you know that was part of my analysis with St. Brown this year is that like Jared Goff is not a negative for Amon Ross St. Brown like he is perfectly good enough to like feed good players the ball and the Lions just have like a lot of good players right now at this point that's why we like this offense so much so I'm with you there on uh, on Jared Goff I'm surprised I never really made the correlation before but Jerry Goff he should be doing that uh, 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 with Jimmy Garoppolo I yeah, mean, they're two yeah. dudes that took that team to the Super Bowl. No, they didn't win it. A lot of times we feel like they aren't the quarterback that's going to take that team to the next level and actually win that game for you. That being said, I mean, if you have that quarterback around some pretty nice pieces, he can get your offense humming. And he showed that so far this early part of the season. 100%. Well, speaking of Jared Goff, Matthew Stafford, our next game up here is Rams at Cardinals. Rams minus three. 48 and a half over under on this one. Um, I mean, I don't know. Weird, weird, uh, <laughs> weird, weird couple of teams here. The Rams, yeah. you know, whatever, but especially the Cardinals tank. Um, talk to you about their offense, man, because, you know, Cliff Kingsbury, like, I- I'm not been impressed through two weeks, even though they won that game last week. Yeah, man. I mean, look at looking at the first six quarters of the season for the Arizona Cardinals. I mean, you want to see a dead body? I mean, they're basically just dead men walking. Uh, but then one thing changed. They decided to let Kyler Murray use his legs. I'm not sure if they try to remove that from the offense to try to keep him healthy or not. But that's a different offense when a defense has to worry about trying to get this young man on the ground. The defensive line is going to get tired because they're chasing him around because he's looking like Speedy Gonzalez in the pocket. And it's also going to wear the DBs out because when the quarterback's holding the ball that long, it's so hard to plaster your coverage. Like sooner or later, if you have some good wide receivers on the outside, they're going to uncover, create enough space for you to get the ball downfield. But I think the one thing that I want to focus on in this matchup, especially when you're looking at it from a daily fantasy perspective, sometimes you just want to pick your shots. And when I play against the Los Angeles Rams defense, I like to pick my shots with tight ends because if you look at uh, a series of their history last year, it seemed like a lot of teams, and specifically the Arizona Cardinals, 
had a lot of success exploiting their tight ends against the Rams. Like they end up having games where they were able to run the ball down the throat. And I remember Max Williams going out there and having himself <laughs> a day against the Rams last year. And I'm like, yo, if Max Williams can go out there and abuse that Rams defense like that, my Stanford homie Zach Ertz should especially be able to do that. And so I think that Zach Ertz could be a sneaky play in this offense. When you look at my man, Kyler Murray doesn't have a lot of weapons uh, to throw to anyway. We've already been talking up my man, Dorch. We know that you have Marquise Hollywood Brown on the outside. I don't think that we've shown enough love to Zach Ertz, and this could be a potential blow-up spot for him. I'm with you. Five red zone targets, three end zone targets for Zach Ertz so far this year. He In a wasteland position of the tight end, like outside really the top two guys, right? Like, Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews, you're feeling good. You're not even feeling good if you draft, obviously, Kyle Pitts. Like, and Darren Waller's oh, been God. fine, though. Yeah, we'll get to Kyle yeah. Pitts. Um, but, you know, Zach Ertz has been pretty steady if you, like, punt it on the tight end position a little bit. And I, I kind of see that continuing because his usage is just the most, you know, level here from, like, a week-to-week basis. I don't – you know, Marquise Brown is fine if you need him. Um, I, I mean, I don't know. He's fine. He's fine. That's all I'll say. On the Rams uh, – <laughs> On the Rams side of it, I, I'm curious about the backfield because I think we know what we're going to get out of the um, out of the passing offense. Like we know Cooper Cup is a dude. He's going to just dominate every single week. I think Allen Robinson will be like a boom bust wide receiver, too. Um, I think week two is probably the like more normal usage you'll see out of Allen Robinson. He really should have had two touchdowns in that last game. And Tyler Higby, uh, that's another guy that like we he's on the radar at this point, right? Like he's he's a yeah. player we should probably like if you're if you're hurting a tight end, Tyler Higby is still widely available. Guy's been just getting a ton of usage. Um, but my big question is on the backfield tank. Like we saw more of a committee approach in week two, and I think that was what we were sort of promised by the coaching staff in the offseason. I also kind of feel like that is more the reality that we'll get. Where really neither of these guys is like a trustworthy fantasy starter. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that's disappointing about the Rams' run game is that, one, it's going to be a committee approach where you're going to have Daryl Henderson and Cam Akers just kind of rotating in. You don't know who's going to have the hot hand on a weekly basis. But also, man, like the the Rams' offensive line is playing like straight doo-doo balls. Like, it's just nasty. Like, they aren't blocking anyone. I think that's part of the reason why they can't run the ball. I think that's partially the reason why you have Matthew Stafford that's turning the ball over a lot. But at the same time, I can't put all that on offensive line because there's some instances where you watch the Rams offense and it's kind of how we were talking about another game. Like it just seems the floor at times because Sean McVay, like he's an offensive genius. So he gets into his play calling groove and you see Stafford just throwing the ball to cup, throwing it to Higby. You're like, dang, that offense is moving like a train dog. Like it's just flowing. And then all of a sudden he just does a bonehead throw. He throws it directly to the defensive back. And I was like, dude, like, what are you doing, bro? And yeah. so until they eliminate that, until they clean up the offensive line play and they just get rid of the stupid turnovers, it's always going to be this instance where you'll see the Rams coming into a game where they're like a 10-point favorite. And I'm like, uh-uh, no, nah, just bet. Yeah. yeah, just just take Atlanta and the points because there's going to be somehow, some way, they're going to mess it up with these bonehead penalties or bonehead plays that's going to keep the opponent in the game. Yeah, the offensive line should be like an Achilles heel uh, pretty much all throughout the um, all, all throughout the season. I, I don't think that's going to necessarily get better unless those young guys just really start to gel together. But they've also been dealing with injuries, too, which takes away from continuity, which takes away from time together. And then, hey, Tank, they're not going to get like Stafford's always going to have those boneheaded plays, man. That's just True. that's that's part of the Stafford equation, man. You're going to get we the high wish. highs. We can hope. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's about all we can do is we can wish and hope for it. Um, next game up here. I wish this game was better than it looked on paper, but it's not Packers at Buccaneers. Buccaneers are uh, one point favorites, 41 and a half point total. I mean, 
I'll start here. Like, I think you play both the running backs in Green Bay. I think those guys every single week are fantasy starters. I think Aaron Jones is still a top 10 fantasy back, and A.J. Dillon is kind of still – I think he's still a top 20 fantasy start every single week. And they're dealing with a ton of cluster injuries at wide receivers right now. As we're taping this, I saw that, like, Alan Lazard, Sammy Watkins, and Christian Watson were all DNP on Thursday. So that's something to watch. How 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 many times can they run the ball? How many times can they throw the ball to Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon? Because if it's just like – Chris or uh, Romeo Dobbs and Randall Cobb. I mean, against this nasty Bucks defense, like this, this 41 and a half uh, over under might be too high. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking to someone the other night on one of the shows and they were like, man, like I know it's low. Like I think it started off at 47 and it dropped down to the 41 and like, Hey, the oh, under still looks magically delicious. Yeah. Like that's how bad it's going to be because both of these teams are going to have to lean heavy on the run. You already talked about the injuries to the green Bay Packers. We already know Mike Evans is going to be out because he went at Marshawn Lattimore's throat. Oh, and I love to see it because I just love seeing divisional opponents fight. It reminded me of that, that uh, Andre, that uh, Andre Johnson and uh, Cortland Finnegan fight. I mean, hey, we've seen, we've seen we've seen Marshawn Lattimore, Mike Evans go at it before. Cortland Finnegan's head. Oh my goodness! I know it's like every year they go at it. And so, I, hey, it's one of those things I love to see. But now Julio's dealing with a knee. You have Chris Godwin who's going to continue to be out. Russell Gage hasn't lived up to expectations. Bajar Perriman, he's interesting to me. He made plays for Tom Brady down the stretch. He had a touchdown catch in the last game against the Saints as well. He's interesting, but I expect them to lean heavily on Leonard Fournette because Leonard Fournette has been that monster. Like, that was another thing that we talked about, like the Tampa Bay offensive line coming into the season beat up. Yet, man, he's been carrying the load. Didn't really have a production that he had against the uh, Saints that he had against the Cowboys, but I believe he's going to bounce back because if you look at it, teams have been able to run against the Green Bay Packers in the first two weeks. They've had some success. So I see both of these teams leading heavy on that run game, which is going to probably give us a lower point total overall. Probably not going to get a lot of production out of quarterbacks, not going to get a lot of production out of wide receivers, but the running backs, they should eat. This game's going to be over in like two and a half hours yeah. <laughs> with, all the, with all the run game stuff. So um, I agree. I, I'm kind of fading both receiver cores at this point. All right. Tank and I will be back with the rest of the week three preview right after this break. Searching for NBA playoff coverage. We've got you. The old man and the three presented by BMW gives you an inside look into the world of sports. Hosted by former NBA sharpshooter and Duke legend J.J. Redick and sports writer Tommy Alter, The Old Man and the Three offers unprecedented access to the league. Tommy and J.J. discuss the NBA and interview some of the biggest names in the league, like Devin Booker and Luka Doncic. NBA final season is the perfect time to dive in, and you can listen to The Old Man and the Three wherever you get your podcasts. To hear episodes brought to you by BMW. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. All right, Tank. Next, we got here Ravens at Patriots. Ravens are two and a half point favorites. Forty three and a half over under. Um, look, man, this this game is interesting, but it's mostly only interesting on the Ravens side of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have Lamar Jackson who didn't throw a pass in the Wednesday practice because yes. of an elbow. He had a sleeve. Uh, so interested to see how that's going to play out. I think that is going to be fine. I really didn't see anything that popped up majorly in the game i mean if you look at the last play in the dolphins game i mean he threw the ball way downfield trying to hit david it fell incomplete but it didn't look like he had an issue with his arm there so i don't think it's going to be the problem i think more so the issue is going to be how can lamar jackson perform against a bill belichick defense now we have to look at it in this 
isolated silo, though, because these aren't your same New England Patriots that we've seen in the past. They're not that on offense. They're not that on defense. But I feel a little bit better about the defense than I do of the offense. And so I know the Patriots are going to try to muck this game up. They're going to try to lean heavy on Damian Harris, heavy on Ramon J. Stevenson, try to play ball control, keep the ball out of Lamar's hand. But I think that Lamar, with the weapons that he has on the outside with Bateman and Duvernay, Mark Andrews, if they can get Dobbins back, kind of establish that run game along with the threat of Lamar running the ball. I feel good about the production of all those skill pieces. Now it's going to be more so Lamar. If Dobbins plays, he probably not going to get the full carry. So I'm not worried about the running backs, Mark Andrews, maybe Bateman. I don't want to go outside of those three players right now, but I think you can feel comfortable with them. If you're worried about how your guys are going to perform against New England. I'm with you, man. Like I, I just don't know that, I don't know when we're going to get J.K. Dobbins back at this point. Um, you know, he's week to week, whatever. We'll see. Um, Bateman, dude, Bateman looks like a freaking stud, man. Baller. Um, yeah. yeah. I think they'll start to play him more. I have no concerns about, like, his snap rate, targets per uh, snap, anything like that. Like, he'll he'll continue to play more. On New England's side of it, I think we I, – I do just want to say that, like, Jacoby Myers deserves some respect. And, like, if you're hurting at wide receiver this week, like, you got any of these Bucks guys or, or whatever – like Jacoby Myers, he 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 can be played in this game. Thirty point two targets per route run, thirty four point three percent of the team air yards. Like he has legitimately awesome usage. I know he's boring. He doesn't have a lot of playmaking ability, but like I, I think he's a pretty good, reliable player. And like he's basically all they got right now. Like Devontae Parker can't get open. Hunter Henry hasn't yeah. played well. Um, you know, they're they're like kind of rotating Nelson Aguilar in a little bit. Um, I, I think if you need a wide receiver three, wide receiver four play, like you can, you can use a hundred percent. You can use Jacoby Myers against this Baltimore secondary. I agree. Just for the simple fact that the Baltimore secondary, we saw what Miami was able to do against them last week, but that's not the only time. Like they were getting abused last year as well. But the one thing that scares you about the New England Patriots is something that it remains true. Like when I was there, Matt Patricia, like they tried to convert me to linebacker. So I sat in the meeting room with him like for about a year or so, like the little cup of coffee that I had with the Patriots. He has a brilliant football mind, but he's a defensive coach. And when you watch that Patriots offense flow, it looks like a defensive person calling offensive plays. Like that's just what it is. And so that's why they don't really have any synergy within the plays. And that's why it just doesn't have like this flow. That being said, like you said, like, man, that dude, Jacoby, he's getting peppered like some steak on a weekly basis. And when you have a matchup like this against the Baltimore Ravens, I'll take it. But at the same time, don't expect him to just be throwing up like these ridiculous numbers on a weekly basis just because they don't really have that in the offensive coordinator right now. And I don't mind Nestle Aguilar either. That's, I'm glad you had that note about Matt Patricia, man, because I agree with you. You watch him call plays. It's like, yeah, this is a defensive coach calling plays. Now they're like kind of going back to like a power run scheme. And like the whole thing all offseason was that they were trying to install a zone run scheme. Tank, like you, you, you played under Matt Patricia. Can you imagine this guy like trying to install a zone running scheme when they've been a power <laughs> running scheme for so long? It's just, it's insane. I mean, the thing too is that, I mean, if, if it ain't broke, why fix it? I mean, that's yeah. the system that's been ingrained in there in New England for so long and they've had so much success with it. So why take it with that kind of stuff right now? I don't get it, but it seems like they may end up reverting back to some of that old stuff real quick because what they're doing on offense right now is not getting it. No. It is not. Next game up here, Jaguars at Chargers. Chargers are seven-point favorites, 47.5 over-under. Um, for me in this game, the thing I think people need to know is, like, Trevor Lawrence is starting to show some signs, man. Um, and I think he, like, 
What we have to remember, Tank, is that this is basically Trevor Lawrence's rookie year. This is the first year he's getting like legitimate NFL coaching, right? Because we know that was there was a lot of stuff going on in Jacksonville last year, and a lot of it was not <laughs> a lot of it was not an, like NFL level coaching. So I think Lawrence showed a lot of progress, even just from game one to game two. This year, uh, the Chargers defense is no joke. Like that, that unit is good. Obviously, Patrick Mahomes cut him up a little bit in week two, but that's Patrick Mahomes, man. So right. I, I'm curious just like what Trevor Lawrence looks like in this game, because I think the Jags offense is pretty well set. Like you can play James Robinson as a kind of low end RB2. You can't play Travis Etienne. You're kind of banged if you dra- drafted Travis Etienne. And Christian Kirk, man, that guy is a, like he's a top 20 receiver rest of the way. Earn, yeah, earned that contract already, bro. Yeah. 100%. So, yeah, for me, it's just Trevor Lawrence in this game. Chargers side, um, I also think this is kind of a rather straightforward uh, uh, offense in, in L.A. as well. Yeah, uh, a couple of points. Like, Trevor Lawrence, Christian Kirk, over two weeks in the season, like, they're already the most lethal combination in the AFC South. Like, that connection that they have Crazy. is so impressive. And to me, it reminds me of who? Justin Herbert and Keenan Allen, where this guy can be a target monster. He's going to tear you up in a short and intermediate game, yet he has enough speed to get behind you and make big plays. Kirk is faster, but at the same time, I mean, I think both of those guys bring that element to an offense. And more importantly, like, I want to see how the Jacksonville Jaguars perform against that Chargers defense because I think they are really good this year. But I just hope that Keenan Allen and Justin Herbert are healthy because yeah. there's only a few plays that kind of stand out to you on an annual basis, and there are some plays that you just never forget. And Justin Herbert's pass, after dealing with the rib injury, where he could barely run and try to get the first down on a third down or whatever it was, and then he comes back the next play and just throws that perfect dart in to set them up for that last touchdown. Like, that throw... Reminded me of Eli Manning throwing the ball to Mario Manningham on the sideline in the Super Bowl. Like, that's how pretty that throw was to me, given the circumstances of the game and what he was dealing with. And so, man, like, Justin Herbert, I don't know if he's going to live up to my expectations. Like, I took him overall number one in one fantasy draft in, like, a two-quarterback league. I took him over Josh Allen, all these folks. I was like, man, touchdown, Jesus in some leagues, I just like to be bold, and I was like, hey, I'm going to be bold with Justin Herbert. I'm going to take him first because I believe like he's going to be a dark horse to win the MVP and that this offense is going to do some amazing things. And even though he has to deal with this rib injury, and even though my man Josh Allen has started off the season on fire, I'm still holding out faith that he can be that quarterback that I think he can be. And that throw kind of proved it to me. I just want to see more of it. Want to see more of it, man. Justin Herbert right now, 29th in air yards per attempt among quarterbacks right now. The only guys that are behind him are Daniel Jones, Aaron Rodgers, but we know that's a weird offense, Kirk Cousins, and Geno Smith. Like, come on, man. It's Justin Herbert. Like you said, that right. that fourth down throw. And I'm sure, like you know, Austin said this on Eckler's Edge this week, and I'm sure you 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 feel this as like a former player too. Like you just respect the hell out of a guy who can like a warrior out there doing that type of stuff, man. And and, and it's just like that throw shows how good like how good of a vertical passer he could be. I just wish they could would unleash him. I also wish they had more speed at receiver. I love you know Keenan Allen's a, a rock star. He but he's not playing when he's not playing out there. Then it's like it's Mike Williams, like Josh Palmer. I, I'm not the biggest Josh Palmer fan in the world. And then you know DeAndre Carter's got speed as we saw in that fourth down play. But I don't know. Just I got some questions about the Chargers' pass offense, but I think you can play Gerald Everett, who is like another guy at tight end. 
Yeah. It's really emerged well. He looks awesome out there out, outside of that one gassed play when they had the, the pick six. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Mike Williams, Gerald Everett, Austin Eckler, all those guys are still in the circle of trust. And we just hope Justin Herbert um, is, you know, gets healthy soon. Um, next and this is up, the thing, too, before we head to the next game, just kind of be measured with your expectations because we always look at like, oh, Jacksonville is usually like a bounce back spot for offenses, and I hope it is for the Chargers because I have a lot of Chargers scattered throughout my fantasy lineups, but that Jags defense has been okay to start the season, so we may need to temper expectations as far as the offensive production we're looking out of our Chargers uh, skill positions for this week. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. Uh, I bet Eckler sees a lot of touches in this game just because uh, I think sure. they'll be trying to keep it out of Justin Herbert's hands as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, the other Josh Allen looks great for for the Jaguars. All right, let's go kind of faster through these next dusty games before let's we get it. to our primetime contest. Next one: Saints at Falcons. Saints minus three, forty and a half point over under. Um, my thing that you need to know is like how much is Jameis Winston breaking down, man? Because you know he seems like he's dealing with the, a lot of injuries with the back. Like I think there's a non-zero percent chance we see Andy Dalton in the next couple of weeks, which I I don't want to see. By the way, like I want to see Jameis out there doing Jameis things. Um, but you know how good Jameis can play through some of these injuries is going to affect guys like Michael Thomas, Chris Olave, and Jarvis Landry to an extent. Um, I want those guys to be like potential every week wide receiver three candidates, but J- we're going to, we're going to need Jameis at better in a better condition than what he played through last week. Yeah. And I think for me, uh, I just want to see if they're going to continue to roll out basic Baker in that Carolina oh Panthers God. offense, because I mean, you have some weapons like Christian McCaffrey, like he's healthy. He could be that dude. You have DJ Moore who blew up the early part of last season. He actually connected and had a big game with Robbie Anderson in week one of this season. So you have enough weapons out there to get the job done. I don't know if it's an issue with Baker to me and some of the things I saw floating around social media, maybe a little issue with the play calling because a lot of times you have a bad play caller where you have like redundant routes on both sides and redundant formations. Like it's easy for the secondary. Like if I see that of an offense is lining up and I see receivers in certain splits and certain formations, and then you see the route tree kind of coming out, like I know what you're giving me. Like if you have this one receiver coming like shallow from the get-go, or more than likely there's going to be a deer coming in behind him or something like that. And so when you have people that see these routes coming before the offense may even know they're coming and they're jumping on balls and making plays like that, then you're setting your offense up for failure. So I think all along Carolina, we need to see a better job of offense to call uh, play calling as well as execution with the skill position and that offensive line. Did you see the stat floating around this week that Matt Rule is one and twenty-four when the opposing team scores more than seventeen points? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is that's oh embarrassing. I mean, dog, you like and so. This is the thing. Like, this is one. Like, so when I played in Tennessee, we always had this thing on the wall where, and one of our goals was to always hold an offense to 17 or fewer points. And so for him to be like one and whatever it is in one that matchup where one in 24, if a team scores 17 points or more, I mean, that just shows you the kind of performance that he's been putting up. And this is in a league now where it's so much easier to score yeah. than what it was back then. I was going <sighs> to say, I'm not, I'm not trying to age you here, Tank, but like, you know, that was a, that was a bit ago. Uh, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, things yeah. have changed. Like now, yeah, it's like, over a decade, dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, man, you look great. That's all that matters. Uh, yeah. <laughs> all right. Next game up here. Um, your Titans, man. I, I think I dragged the Raiders down here pretty far in the power rankings of the of these games. But man, I mean, the Titans are tough watch right now. We got Raiders as two point road favorites. Forty five and a half point over under. Uh, Tank, 
talk to me about your Titans, man. Uh, not a great showing. <laughs> man, I'm wondering if it's going to be the return of Derrick Henry because that Raiders run defense is pretty bad. If there's going to be a bounce back spot for King Henry, this should be it. But I think the one issue that you run into at the Titans offense, and that's one of the reasons why I wasn't as high on King Henry this year, is because he no longer has A.J. Brown. And even though you talk noise about him for being like, not you, but just people in general, about this guy being banged up so often, like Julio Jones, at least when he's out there on the field, like he's a threat on the outside. Yeah, The Titans don't have anyone that's going to scare you on the outside. So what is that going to do? They're going to put an extra person in the box and just say, hey, I'm going to take away King Henry. I'm going to force Ryan Tannehill to beat me. Tannehill hasn't been using his legs like he did last year. And so right now, this Titans offense is a mess. Like, Burke's got a decent amount of targets against Buffalo. And people are like, oh, man, I love Traylon Burks. I see, like, some fantasy folks talking about, oh, I love Traylon Burks from, like, Buffalo. Like, the dude had, like, four receptions for, like, 40-something yards or something like that. Like, that's nothing that's going to get me all aroused or anything like that. But I guess it's just one of those things where maybe he just got used a little bit more than what he was in, like, week one. But that being said, this dude needs to have a breakout game. He needs to have an A.J. Brown-type game. If he can do that and then continue to stack those, this Titans offense may be able to get back on track. But until we see that, it's going to be tough sledding. But I think you may be able to ride with your boy King Henry this week going against that Las Vegas Raiders run defense. I think this might be like your Dalton. And I talked about this on the stat nerd podcast. Like this might be your last time to like sell low on Derrick Henry. Like, it, it, cause if he doesn't have a big game against the Raiders, like it, it's people will just be, you know, pissing their pants and in, in panic mode. Like nobody's going to want to trade for him at that point. So I don't know. It's worth exploring. I think um, on Traylon Burks, He's number two in terms of guys that have 20 plus uh, run 20 plus routes this year and targets per route run. Like when he's been on the field, they've been trying to get him the ball. But like you said, they don't have somebody that can scare you on the outside. And like Traylon Burks is not that dude either because he's learning a whole new position. Like he didn't play as an X receiver in college. He played as like a big slot gadget type of guy. Basically, if you watch Traylon Burks's catches so far, it's pretty much just like, crossing routes slant routes against zone coverage like that's about it which he can make plays that's what he does well but like threatening teams vertically threatening teams on like go routes deep posts like deep corner routes it's not it's just not there yet so um he just he's the developmental player and i just worry by the time like he's up to speed to play a full snap load this team is going to be in a complete nightmare situation. Um, so there's there's worth there's just like a lot of Titans panic right now. There that's worth saying. On the Raiders, like I think Devontae Adams' targets are going to vary, but you know he's going to have monster games like he did in Week One. He's going to have slower games because um, you know even though he scored the touchdown, Darren Waller's a good player. Hunter Renfro is still around. Like I feel like the Raiders are one of the easiest teams to project because it's just like three guys pretty much getting the ball. Yeah, and I feel like this is going to be a bounce-back spot for Devontae. Obviously, we knew he had the blow-up week against uh, the Los Angeles Chargers, and then he only had two receptions for, like, what, 17 yards in the tub against Arizona. And I think that this is going to be an overcorrection in this game where you can depend on him uh, to go out there and ball out. I think I took um, – I, I mentioned a prop where he was going to have, like, over – Maybe it was like 86 or something yards or something like that. Something like that. Uh, and I feel like pretty comfortable in that. Just knowing what that Titans secondary, what they gave up to my man Stefan Diggs up there on Monday night and feeling that this is going to be a desperation game for both of these teams, which means that Derek Carr is going to make sure he leans heavily on one of the best wide receivers in the league. So I feel pretty comfortable about Devontae Adams in this game. And like you said, I mean, I think – one thing to note is that the Titans are usually pretty good against tight ends, but there's no way you're not going to play 
Darren Waller in this matchup. And Hunter Winfro, I mean, he could see a lot of targets. I'm interested to see what Josh Jacobs is going to do against this Titans defense. Jeffrey Simmons could be a monster. The Las Vegas Raiders offensive line isn't that good. But at the same time, it seemed like my man Josh McDaniel just tried to feed Jacobs at least at the early part of that game against Arizona. Interested to see if that's going to continue into this game. Yeah, Josh Jacobs, Andy Barron's favorite player. Uh, Bengals <laughs> at Jets. Next game up, Bengals are five-point favorites, 45 over under. My thing on this game is, look, don't panic on Elijah Moore. I know it's been a really slow first couple of games. Garrett Wilson's legit. He's awesome. Um, but Elijah Moore's playing a ton. He's getting open. He's winning on his routes. He's just playing the harder position. Like he's, despite being the smaller guy, is out there playing as like the pure X receiver. Like if he has an eruption game at some point because he wins on those deeper patterns, I wouldn't be surprised. Wouldn't be surprised if it's this, this week. So don't panic on Elijah Moore. But Garrett Wilson is is legitimately awesome and like. He's getting he's getting like alpha level usage from a from a target standpoint, an air yard standpoint, and uh, end zone target standpoint. So um, we just need Joe Flacco to consistently drop back to pass like fifty times a game, or Zach Wilson to be good when he gets back for these guys to hit. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, this seems like the game script favors Garrett Wilson to continue to get off. I mean, he's getting a bunch of targets, and you're always looking for that next receiver. Like, who can be like Jamar Chase this year? Like, I don't think that the New York Jets are good enough for him to be a Jamar Chase because what Joe Burr and all those guys did last year with that Cincinnati Bengals offense was exceptional. But at the same time, I believe he's going to continue to get the lion's share of the targets in his offense, and he can continue to flourish. I'm interested to see what it's going to look like once Zach Wilson is back. But Joe Flacco shows that he can kind of throw that ball around and keep that Jets offense in the game if they need to go ahead and sling it like 30, 40 times in the game. I think one thing that I'm trying to pinpoint is Joe Mixon. Like, he's been getting a lot of volume. It really hasn't translated to a lot of production because that Cincinnati Bengals team has just been struggling. But, man, look at this. Like, Nick Chubb ran through that New York Jets oh. defense. Like, he drank the tap water down in Mexico. Like, it was just flowing, dog. And so I expect Jesus Joe Christ. Mixon, with, with the volume that he's getting, <laughs> I expect him to be able to kind of help get the Cincinnati Bengals team back on track. <laughs> Hold it together, dog. I'm trying. <laughs> um, hey, you're right, though. Look, the Jets, the Jets defense has been terrible, too. I mean, they were, um, you know, and this is an improvement uh, because last year they were dead last uh, in defensive EPA allowed. But this year they're 31st, despite all like the money they poured into this thing. So not go this. This should be a big Joe Mixon game. Like, I think he is tank. He should definitely be in your like core running back spot in DFS. I think, I think this yeah, week, I think absolutely. it's a good bounce back spot for, for the Bengals as a whole. Um, next game up. Oh, gross. Texans at bears. Bears are two, somehow two and a half point favorites, I guess, just cause they're at home 40 and a half over under. I mean, two things to know about this game. Don't watch it. <laughs> yeah, pretty much dog. I mean, I don't feel like we need to waste a lot of time on this. So I would just say this, just focus on the running backs. I think, Damian Pierce looked good to me running the ball against the Denver Broncos. I think they're going to lean heavily on him. Yeah. And then, you know, there's been this discussion about who's the better running back for the Chicago Bears, whether it's Montgomery or Herbert. But that being said, the Bears have looked decent running the ball because Justin Fields hasn't been throwing the ball. So I think yeah. this is going to be an ugly, low-scoring game where both of these teams are just trying to run the ball to keep their quarterbacks out of making mistakes. And with me saying that, watch it end up being like this crazy shootout, but I don't see it. I, I don't see it either. I do think Nico Collins is a decent sleeper in this game because the Bears 
pass defense is brutal. And he got nine targets last week, and I think is actually a pretty decent player. So that's all we can say on that one. Last game up here, Falcons at Seahawks. Seahawks minus two, 42 and a half over under. We both kind of have something here about um, you know, Kyle Pitts, basically. So, Tank, it's like the question of the week in fantasy. So I got to ask you, where are you at with the whole Kyle Pitts thing? Man, so like in one of my leagues, it's like the league that I've been in the longest with some of my college buddies. Man, I got sniped on Mark Andrews. And I was like, man, oh. I want to make sure. Because we played two tight ends. So I was like, I want to make sure I at least Why? have like one <laughs> what, do you guys, what do you guys hate yourselves? Dog, we love, yeah, we love punishing each other. But it makes it fun, dog. <laughs> um, so, man, I, I feel like now it feels like the, the biggest reach of the draft. Like I, I took Kyle Pitts because, I mean, I saw him. And I was like, man, dog, this dude is a specimen. At least when you saw him in a preseason, a limited amount of time that he played, it was like, all right, it looks like Arthur Smith is going to get this dude the ball. But the way this season has started, Arthur Smith talking about this isn't fantasy football and this and that and that and this, and then you not just putting the ball in the hands of one of your better athletes on the team, like it just makes no sense to me. All that being said, I feel like this should be another overreaction, overcorrection spot where they make sure they feed this dude some balls and it's a get-back-right spot for him. But at the same time, it's not like he's just going to garner all the targets in Atlanta because Drake London is that dude. Yeah, I think that's the biggest problem for the Kyle Pitts bros is that Drake MF in London looks like the yeah. best. Like <laughs> the, the, all the complaints about, uh, you know, Arthur Smith is not getting the ball in the hands of his best player. I mean, he is. His name's just Drake London. Like right yeah. now, like Drake London looks like that dude. And I, I, I'm with you, man. I think he is the biggest problem for, for Kyle Pitts. Um, I think that that's going to just be an issue all year long. God, I can't believe you guys play two tight ends. You say like that; it's fun. Nothing sounds less fun to me than like, <laughs> oh, uh, let me, let me, like we already tank in like a traditional twelve-team league. Like four, four yeah, it's teams already hard are enough. Yeah, yeah, four teams are already like, well, I'm effed at tight end. Well, I don't know what to do. Now it's like you're all like, well. We're all left, I guess. So at least maybe it evens <laughs> the playing field a little. That's ridiculous. But um, anything on Seattle in this game, I feel like Lockett and Metcalf are going to have some games. By the way, Lockett is like really extending the stretch of in terms of the gap between targets, like in games that Geno Smith has played, even though Metcalf has had some bigger moments. But I feel like these guys are they'll make your best ball rosters happy because you don't have to predict like which week is a Lockett week, which week is a Metcalf week. Because I, I don't know that it's going to necessarily be both. Yeah, I mean, you know, Lockett was impressive. Had over 100 yards receiving last week. And I guess one thing that you can find encouraging maybe is that Pete Carroll is saying that we need to let Geno cook. <laughs> uh, so we're okay. going to have to see what that looks like. Uh, with all that being said, I just really don't have too like, high expectations for that offense. I think the the running back by committee is going to be a mess. So I'm really not sure that you can depend on one of those running backs. But I feel like in certain spots – uh, there will be a place for these wide receivers to flourish if the game script presents itself and they allow Gino to throw the ball and Gino is efficient and effective at throwing it. Let Gino cook. Um, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Pete's just being petty at this point. <laughs> All right, let's move to the primetime games here, starting with 49ers, one and a half point favorites at Denver, 44 and a half over under. Um, couple of th yeah yeah tank who are we gonna talk mm -hmm. about in this game buddy <laughs> <laughs> i think at this point yeah i can still say his name i can still say brandon yeah, Ayuk, and i think that jimmy garoppolo coming back i mean how do you feel about this i'm interested to hear your perspective how do you feel about 
is he just the same guy with Trey Lance playing as Jimmy Garoppolo, or do you see like a downtick or uptick because of Jimmy being inserted into the lineup moving forward? So that's a great question. I think that couple of different things here one a lot of the analysis on Brandon Ayuk this like why he was going to take a step from last year to this year even though last year once once you and I finally got past uh our, our nonsense for for those uninitiated <laughs> um you should be watching fantasy football live if you're listening to this show not watching fantasy football live on Sunday morning what the hell are you doing with your life but Tank and I had a lot of fun back and forth about uh Brandon Ayuk last year and once he finally got himself out the doghouse you know he was like a top 20 fantasy receiver yeah. last year but I think part of the hope for him taking another step this year was that Trey Lance was going to unlock the vertical parts of the field more than Jimmy Garoppolo was. I we will get we'll never know if that was really going to happen or not with Trey Lance, although it probably wasn't really trending in the right direction. But one thing that was interesting to me, Tank, and I, this is kind of narrative-ish, so maybe you can help me speak on this, but I thought like when Jimmy came off the bench last week, he played a really good game and he was like kind of aggressive and he even spoke like he was throwing that thing deep outside the numbers. Um, Ayuk had a, a pass, deep pass interference play. Like I think it's going to be there for Ayuk because I think that Ayuk has taken another step as a player. You know, that was the drum beat all off season. I think Jimmy will like Jimmy and Ayuk haven't had a lot of time together either. When Ayuk popped off as a rookie, Jimmy was hurt. So I th- I think it's probably like, at worst, the lateral move and potentially good for Brandon Ayuk if Jimmy's going to continue to be aggressive because, and he kind of said this after the game, right, that he felt like it was like 2017 again where he could just get out there and play loose because he is kind of like nothing to lose at this point. So little narrative-ish that like maybe Jimmy will play more aggressive because like he has everything to gain and nothing to lose by this time, at this point right now. I mean, you, you, I mean, it's a great point. Like the way that the Niners are treated Jimmy Garoppolo like, He's the quarterback that they didn't want, but that they need right now. And when you've been in a situation where you led a team to a Super Bowl, yet and still they go out and they move up in the draft or, you know, draft your replacement. And then they give him your job coming to this offseason. You have surgery. You think you're going to end up on another team. Somehow you end up signing back. Then that guy goes down early in the season. Like Jimmy G, no, he's not the long-term answer for that team. At least he doesn't think he is. So right now he's like, hey, this guy's not, like, I don't have to look over my shoulder with this guy. Like, he's not yeah. coming back. And there's nobody else on this roster that's going to come out and get me. They already don't think too much of me. So what can I do? Just go out there, ball out, let it fling, let it fly, and then just play my way into another big deal with another team. And so I believe he is going with that mindset. And we could potentially see a more improved Jimmy G because he's not playing with that hesitation, that uncertainty of, like, he's just a player two away or a game or two away from getting replaced. Tank, would you like to guess how many air yards per target Debo Samuel is averaging right now? Uh, I have no clue, but probably like what? Four? <laughs> One. <laughs> One air yard. What? Well, not air yards. Air yard, air yard, target. air yard per target. <laughs> one real, one, one air yard per target for Debo Samuel. So oh I think goodness. I think he's gonna play like a ton of running back, right? Like he's still their best outside stretch runner. Good, he got his money right, and good, he got yeah. the contract bonuses because he could probably gonna hit them bonuses this year, man. Um, so I, I think that like Debo probably not gonna return value at ADP just because I think he was a little too steamed up, but. 
I, the air yard will come. The air yard per target will come up at some point. He'll be fine. But I do think, I do think the the, the C's are. I think the I think the the, the C's are kind of parting for Brandon Ayuk to really still take that next step because Debo's not playing that wide receiver role. Um, and obviously we might get Kittle back for this game as well. So I think we're still we're feeling pretty good about Ayuk. I mean, my God, one air uh, air yard per target. Air yard. Uh, <laughs> on the Denver hard, side, hard <laughs> yeah, hard D. On uh, the uh, Broncos side, man, I think this thing is still kind of in a feel it out mode. Nathaniel Hackett, um, I said this to to Austin on uh, Echo's Edge this week. When you Google Nathaniel Hackett right now, the second result that pops up is Nathaniel Hackett memes. Like when it tries to auto finish, like and that's you don't want to be that. Yeah, that's never a good position. look. Yeah. Not a good look. He's still trying to figure it out, obviously. Russ, I don't think Russ is playing really well at this point. Um, and he's also kind of down to like Cortland Sutton and these like five tight ends that they got if Jerry Judy yeah. misses this game. So not, I don't feel great about Denver's offense here. Yeah, I mean, it's been a thing where there's just no flow in the offense. There are times where they look pretty good where they're able to run the ball effectively. Javante Williams was used a lot in the passing game, which if you're Javante Williams' manager, you love to see that. Cortland Sutton had his big game. Like you said, there's no Jerry Judy. Washington looked good in some gadget plays, but I don't know if he's someone that they could just depend on. But, I mean, he could be like a Tyler Lockett type guy for them. But I just think that overall – they need to clean up the penalties. They're, like the penalties yeah. are just wearing them out. And so it just messes up the floor in the offense. It gets clunky. And then we just see like a lack of production from them. So once they could get a better floor in the play calling, hack, you can get better at managing situational football and they clean up those turnovers. I think we see a much improved Denver Broncos offense right now, but right now it just looks kind of nasty dog. And I think it's going to still take a few games before they really come together and give you some true juice. And that's what you're hoping for out of that Denver offense. I kind of wonder if like from a personality standpoint, like there's too much rah, rah, good, like good vibes from like Nathaniel Hackett and, and Russell Wilson. Cause those are like the, from this total narrative stuff. I have no idea, but like, you know, they're both like positive upbeat guys. Like, whereas Nathaniel Hackett and, Aaron Rodgers, like, I mean, Rodgers will like, will rip into you, yeah. you know, like he'll, he'll, if, if he, if you're like effing around, like he'll, he'll, he'll give it to you. Right. Like Russ, probably not the same guy. So I just wonder, again, it's going to take time with this whole Denver situation, the backfield split. We did see like a move to more, more Javante Williams in week two. I, I think you got to hope that that continues because he looks like their best player right now. Um, Obviously, Russ's legacy aside. Last game up here, Monday Night Football, Cowboys at Giants, the Daniel Jones Cooper Rush show. What an excitement. Minus one on the <laughs> Giants, 39 over and under. Um, wh where are we at with this game, man? For me, like I think Cooper Rush, like he's not that bad. Okay. Like Cooper Rush yeah. can kind of can get CD Lamb the ball. I think this could be a big CD Lamb game. Um, Michael Gallup might get back for this contest, which is only good news for this Dallas offense overall, even if he's not at 100% yet, because they also just lost Dalton Schultz. And like Noah Brown popped up for a pretty big game last week too. So I'm feeling a little bit better about like CD Lamb and the Cowboys than I was maybe, you know, um, a week ago. Yeah, no, I concur because I was really down on the Cowboys. I felt like the only way that they could really stay in the game, and this still holds true, is that the Cowboys defense needs to be able to play like they did last year. And Michael Parsons was that dude last week. That dude can affect the game oh like God. none other. It's hard to see, like, when you always look at a Los Angeles Rams game, you're like, yo, how is Cooper Cup always open? Like, yo, Michael Parsons is the best dude on this team. Like, you should always know where, where number 11 is. There was like a third and four. How is he always in the backfield? How is he free. always in the backfield? Dog, he went to Joe Burrow one time untouched. It's like, how do you not know where number 11 is? 
But, you know, with all that being said, I feel like I want to know what kind of game is Saquon going to have. Is he going to have, like, a Leonard Fournette game where Lenny went into Dallas and he ran for over 127 yards or something like that? Or is it going to be the Joe Mixon game where they're able to shut down that run? And so I'm really interested to see how that New York Giants offensive line is going to be able to perform and if Saquon can continue to get off because that's going to be the way that the New York Giants continue to have success. Like, you're not going to lean on Daniel Jones. Sterling Shepard had a big game versus Tennessee, but Saquon is going to be the dude that carries that team. And so this is going to be a big test for that Giants offense going against that Dallas Cowboys defense. This is another game that could be over in like two and a half hours, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. So I, I'll credit Brian Dayball that he's not just like running the Buffalo Bills. Like he's got these guys playing well and, and like believing in stuff like that, but he's not running from like a neutral pass rate, like a really fast paced pass uh, heavy offense because he doesn't have the dudes to do that right now. Um, right. Last question for you, Tank. I, you know, I love Sterling Shepard. He's another one of my guys, um, but I'll ask you about Kenny Galladay here. How, how much longer is Kenny Galladay on this roster? Like over, over under week eight. Uh, I believe it depends on what's in the contract, doc. Like he may be that all season. A lot they of money. May just, yeah, they may just just have him like deactivated or something like that, where he's just not live on game days, and you just make sure he makes it through the season healthy, and then you just cut the dead weight at the end of the season. Like you can't control what your former GM did, and that's just that maybe one of the worst contracts in football right now. And so you understand what you're dealing with. Sometimes you just have to go ahead and set that vase to the side, you know, because someone paid a lot of money for it. It may be ugly, but it's expensive. So go ahead, set it to the side, make sure it isn't broken. And then when they're not looking, <clears throat> go ahead and give it the goodwill or something. Give it the goodwill. All right, man. This has been awesome. Tank, thanks so much for uh, being here with me. Tell the people all about why they should be watching you on FFL Sunday morning, along with me, I guess, and Andy Barron's. I mean, I feel like you need to be watching FFL because you have Harmon who breaks down the wide receivers like none other. He's been killing it with the props as well. He's super knowledgeable in fantasy football, as you already know, because you're watching this podcast on a daily basis. Andy Barron's has like some of the best dry human. He's one of the smartest cats that I know in the fantasy game. And I like to think that I approach fantasy from a different perspective, from a player's perspective. And I try to add a little bit of humor into it. But when we get into a long format like this, I can talk the X's and O's and the stats and all the analysis like anyone else. And so I feel like you have a bunch of guys who are super knowledgeable about the game come at it from a lot of different angles and we give you the information you need to go ahead and beat your opponent's heads in on a weekly basis. So make sure you catch us all. I follow us on social media. I'm at Tank Williams 13. You probably going to say that a little bit later where you're looking at Twitter or IG and give me your, give your boy a follow and just check it in. I don't put out as much content as Harmon, but you know, I try to sprinkle little things in the social media sphere every now and then and get my chuckles and you know, all that stuff at the same time. Dude, Tank is the man. Uh, as much as we give each other on-air grief on, on FFL, we do actually love each other. Uh, and and it is a – yeah, FFL is a fun show because it's a lot like this show where, look, we're, we're three dudes with different perspectives. We see the game different ways. And when you you could take a little of what Tank says, a little what Andy says, and a little sprinkle of what I say, and, like, maybe you can bring together one good picture there. It's all about making the cake, man. You need different ingredients. And that's what we do on Fantasy Football Live, just like we do on this show. All right, that's going to do it for us. Like Tank said, you better go out there. He's criminally underfollowed on Twitter. Follow him at TankWilliams13. You can follow me at MattHarmon underscore BYB. And while you're there, for God's sakes, go check out how much fun the at Yahoo Fantasy account is having this season. If you like the show, please leave us a five-star review. It would help us out on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. As always, if you don't like the show, 
tweet at me directly, let me know, and then we'll just agree to disagree and we'll move on. Every, not everybody's <laughs> for everybody, okay? That's the way it is. Enjoy the games. Scott and I will be back on Monday morning with a recap of all of the Week 3 action. Until then, we are out.